Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeBone, and this is a happy, hippie place for talking all things magic, witches and fiction, and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 406 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio where you will also find a link to the magical, mystical, all kinds of charismatic Jessica Lignato. Jessica is today's very special guest and this episode is so much fun. I'm really not going to load it up here at the front with too much rambling because this interview is an hour long and it really it really stands on its own it's so good she's a total blast Uh, but I do have a couple things I want to tell you first I posted a new video if you don't know I'm on YouTube I'm Joanna DeVoe on YouTube and I posted a video which was a follow-up to last week's or last week that was this week The last episode that I did here talking about radical responsibility, the road to radical responsibility with two powerful archetypes. It's the most personal episode that I've ever done. And I was sharing my own history with emotional abuse. And I got the most incredible, profound, personal feedback in my email inbox and in my DMs. And I just thought that was so interesting that I heard from so many women saying, thank you for talking about that. I totally relate. And then they would share their stories with me. And I just, it was interesting to me because it was all private, not all of it, but much of it was private through my email inbox or through direct messages on Twitter. And so I decided that we should have ourselves a a semi-private chat. You can't really do, you can't really go 100% private on the internet, but I'm going to set a love stream. I've I've been calling my live streams love streams because I'm cheesy like that, but I'm going to do a live stream next Wednesday, July 24th at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for any women that want to want to get down with the the dirty secrets of the past, something really personal that you're trying to heal, something that you might not be inclined to talk about publicly. I just wanted to make a space to do that. So, I'm going to sit there for a couple of hours and talk with whoever shows up live. And if you want to do that, make sure that you are on the Queen newsletter list. If you already got the free three-day You Are a Queen video series, you're on the list. Don't worry about it. You'll get a link 24 hours before the event starts. If you can't join us for the live event, just email me your questions and I will include it. And then you can listen to the playback and there will definitely be a link here to sign up for that three that free, how do I say that? Free three. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Free 
three-day video series. You are a queen. I love this three-day video series. It really stands on its own in terms of introducing you to working with the queen archetype in an actionable way. How do you work with an archetype in a way that actually starts to shift things in your life? This little series will help you get on that path. And then I also want to thank one brand new patron, Mariela Gonzalez. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast over on Patreon. And thank you too, Diana, for circling back around. I appreciate you both so much. And to everybody who is supporting the podcast over on Patreon, I am so excited that our Discord chats are starting to pick up steam and you all are getting to know each other. That makes me so damn happy. And then for those of you who who are patron curious, let me just say, you're about to miss out on something awesome because we are having an on-camera costume party. at the beginning of August that I'm I, we've never done anything like that before it's definitely an experiment but I am looking forward to it like the nerd I am and planning my costume so <laughs> I think that is going to be a lot of fun and then speaking of fun like I said Jessica Lignato is certainly that. She is an astrologer, a psychic medium, an animal communicator, a tarot reader, an all-round new-agey badass. And she was super kind in indulging my questions about her personal style. And then she talked quite a bit about the nature of guilt, creating healthy boundaries, my personal favorite, taking responsibility for your choices. I loved what she had to say about that. And then we got to talk a little bit about what I think is one of the most delightful aspects of her career, and that is animal communication. I have a feeling you all are really going to love that. I think you'll love the whole thing. So without any further ado, here she is, Jessica Lignato. Hello! Jessica, welcome to Hippie Witch. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is going to be fun because you are fun. I just had a whole <laughs> Jessica binge session for the last hour and a half. So. Did you really? <laughs> I, I apologize did. for all the cussing that happened in your ears. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. And you are prolific. You are such a prolific creator. You're here, there, and everywhere. So I'm going to try to make this thing different. I want our interview to be special. Yay. Okay, cool. Okay. So right off the bat, I'm going to ask you something that might be off the wall, but I love your aesthetic. For people who don't know, you have this awesomely wild curly hair (laughs) and these like heavy, large glasses. I've seen a tortoise shell version of them and a bright red version of these glasses you wear. And you definitely have a signature look. So my question to you is two parts. Is this on purpose? Is there like a purpose behind this? And what is your take on glamour magic? Okay. First of all, I love this question. It is rare to be asked a question that I've never been asked before. I have never been asked this. (laughs) 
I fucking love it. So thank you. I will also say that I don't just have these glasses in tortoiseshell and red. I have them in clear, dark gray, milk glass white. Um, I have... I think maybe 13 pairs of prescription glasses <laughs> um, <laughs> because I am obsessed with eyewear. Um, and I, is it on purpose? I mean, I have a beautiful head of extensions. I mean, I have, I, I love my natural hair. It's, it's curly, um, but it doesn't grow. So I actually have really fantastic hair extensions. In. <laughs> so that gives me really long hair and I'm happy to talk about all things related to aesthetics, but I don't do glamour magic per se. I actually just really, I'm like this person who I need to feel like I look like myself and what that feels like honestly changes during a day sometimes. So I change my clothes. Even if I'm home and working by phone all day long, I will sometimes just be dressed to the nines because I just, I need to feel like myself and so, yeah. So I'm not sure if I'm exactly answering your question, you, but I'm obsessed you are, with- Well, it's interesting. It's like you're wearing your inside essence on the outside. But I do think, you know, I think of people like Marilyn Monroe and Albert Einstein and I, who I would definitely say, I don't know. I feel like there was some thought behind his look, even though he would probably deny it. <laughs> but well, his thoughts seem to have been like, I don't give any of the fucks that I have. All of my fucks are given elsewhere. Therefore, yes. my hair will do its own thing. Well, that's definitely the impression it gives. But I yeah. think like... You know, you can look at any picture of Albert Einstein and go, Albert, that's him. That's yeah. him. And I think yeah. there's power in that, whether you do it intentionally or not. And you said your glasses are prescription and your hair is naturally curly. So you just kind of go in with what what you've got. Absolutely. And- I should add to that that I have. So there's like there's. Okay, so there's two things. One thing is I'll mention the astrology of it because Avi, astrologer over here. And then the other thing is I have something called atosis of my eye, which is one of my eyes when I was born, the eyelid was almost completely closed and I had to have a surgery to try to kind of give me more control over my eyelid's motion. And, you know, I... I have very asymmetrical eyes and I don't have total control over my right eyelid. Um, and so as a kid, I got into seeing glasses as a way in part to hide my eye. Um, yeah. So, so there, there is that. So I, when I was a teenager wore pers- and when like a young teenager, not an older teenager, I wore fake prescription glasses as a way to kind of uh, put something between other people looking at my face and my face. Mm -hmm. So, so it started that way. And then it became this actual like love of glasses. And so there's a little bit of a like medical reason why I wear frames as much as I do, uh, because it actually helps me see better, of course. Um, but then also there's like a, a habit in terms of like dealing with this, like, you know, thing that, that sometimes makes people really uncomfortable. And when people have a hard time looking you in the eye, it makes me the one with the eyes uncomfortable. So like there's, there is all of that. Um, and then the other thing is I have, if I may, may, may Astro speak you at this moment? Please do. Everybody okay. will love that. 
Okay, good. Because get ready. So I have Venus in Aquarius in the first house, which and whenever you have a planet in the first house of your birth chart, it's like the thing that people see when they look at you. And so I myself am sun, moon, and rising all in Capricorn. I am such a Capricorn. But when people see me, they see my Aquarius. Um, and my and, and I have uh, Uranus square to my natal Venus and a Pluto trine to my natal Venus, which kind of translates on the topic of aesthetics to this thing that I feel of like, I have to look like myself and I don't really consider, you know, what I, I don't know. Like I, I just keep on thinking about like, well, what's true for me right now? And that's the Uranian part of it. And the fact that Pluto forms a trine to my Venus means that people don't think I look like a clown all the time because that Aquarius stuff, I have a friend who, who used to say that if you have Venus in Aquarius, you're going to leave the house looking like a clown sometimes, which I think is totally true. It's totally true. But the Pluto trine kind of like helps people to be like, that's a friendly clown I want to be friends with or something instead of just like, who let the clown out of the clown car, which for sure I sometimes look like too. But um. I see, I don't think you do. I think you have a certain gravity to you like that people would naturally respect but I would equate the Venus and Aquarius to being different and you certainly you certainly are that yes it turns out it so turns out that way I often talk about this with my partner because I'm such a Capricorn I just feel like I look at my closet I'm just like, oh, I'm so boring. Everything I have is boring. And he's always like, I don't, I can't, I don't know what to say. Like, he's just like, no, but I, you you know, we only see ourselves through, through our own charts. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so there it is, but I absolutely love that you asked me this question. So thank you. Yeah. Okay. So that just leads into another question I have. You are, I would say you are very famous astrologer and psychic medium. I want to ask you about both those things because, you know, this is the hippie witch podcast. There's a lot of woo woo people here that will love that. But I also am personally very, very interested in ambition and hustle. You're talking about having all this Capricorn energy going on. I think of that as like a slow but steady wins the race, a very focused, like upwardly mobile kind of sign. Yes. <laughs> so I'm wondering... Is your success a product of being like just so naturally fabulous that people seek you out and then you just kind of go with the flow of that? Or is it the product of like sweat and actively running down the dream? Excellent question. Um, you. <laughs> Great question. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I would say for sure there's both elements to it. I mean, I all my Capricorn stuff is in the 12th house and the 12th house is, is the least external and material of all the places in the Zodiac. And so, you know, I am really kind of ambitious and upwardly mobile with my own spiritual and kind of psychological and emotional development. And that is really what I've structured my whole life around um, since I moved to San Francisco from Montreal in 1994. That's really, even before that, I guess, you know, since I was really in my late teens, I've really been pretty singularly focused in that direction. And so there is a way that that had that kind of consistency of effort and that consistency, you know, within the world has built up its own 
its own kind of, um, I don't know. It's like, what are those uh, cast iron pots where you don't, you know, you don't put soap on them. Mm. You like use them, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. What is that called? It's, it's, uh, not flavored, not savored. It's in that ballpark. It's in the ballpark. We, we know what we're talking about. It's seasoned. Exactly. It's like, there's, there's this like organic seasoning that has occurred. You know, I don't, I, I, so my ambition, I am really ambitious in, in terms of, of helping people. And I am really ambitious in terms of getting things done. I don't have as clear worldly ambition as it might look like from the outside because I just, I I don't, I'm not exactly sure what I need it to look like, but I do know what I need it to feel like. And I do know that I'm, I'm kind of really motivated by staying in integrity with myself when I do things. So I have had opportunities to do, for instance, things on video or TV, um, that I've turned down, even though they were kind of like quote high level or like whatever, they they would have been seen by a ton of people, but I turned them down because my intuition said to, or because it didn't feel like what they were asking me to do was an integrity. Whereas other things I've done, my intuition screamed yes, or I was, I like did my due diligence to figure out this will allow me to stay in integrity with, with my work and with my kind of like my North star, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've followed all of that. And then, and then also, um, if I may, again, Astro speak, I do have a really beautiful grand trine in my birth chart and it's between Jupiter, Saturn, and my midheaven. And that astrologically, if, if, if anyone's listening and you know that you have that grand trine, good on you, because it does kind of, um, it kind of, that grand trine indicates that if you do the work, opportunities present themselves. And then if you leverage those opportunities, they garner more opportunities. So it doesn't come from magic or a lack of, you know, sweat equity, um, but it, or from sweat, I guess not sweat equity, but it does kind of indicate that, that work can be rewarded with opportunity and that it has been my experience. Yeah. So, you know, you're in bust and then that leads to being in broadly and then that leads to being in glamor, whatever. I'm not saying exactly. that's, that's yes. the order, but you, you know, someone yes. puts you out there and then another person out there sees that. And one thing kind of leads to another. And if you can keep your integrity intact, that could go on for a very long time. That, and that's the key. That's the key is the keeping the integrity intact piece. I, I believe because, which is, you know, and part of keeping one's integrity intact, in my view, is about recognizing that you, no person, I'm going to say including the Dalai Lama, will do it perfectly all the time. It's not about being perfect. It's not about not making mistakes. It's about kind of consistently orienting ourselves to, oh, wow, when I did this thing, it was out of integrity. And why was that? Like, why was I out of integrity when something happened? And how can I reorient? How can I learn from that and keep on trying, you know? And I think that that's, that's the important part because it's impossible to be perfect. It's a terrible goal. Um, oh, yes. You know, it, you know what you're reminding me of because of my recent Jessica binge session <laughs> is I saw a video of you giving Macklemore a reading and yes. it starts, you know, with him being like, oh, I'm kind of nervous. And you go, I'm nervous, too. And it's <laughs> that ability, which I'm sure is so important to your work, to connect with people authentically and through a place of vulnerability 
And it reminds me, I've had, I've known a couple people in my life that were maybe the best at what they did, but they had a hard time getting work. And this like completely disturbed and confused them. And I would try to explain, you know, people want to work with other people that they enjoy. It's their Mm -hmm. life. And you're kind of a dick, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So the nicer person is going to get the job. Yeah. That's real. And, and also, you know, and this is something I've talked to a lot of my friends and, and, you know, colleagues about is you can be the very best in your field, but if you take a week to respond to someone's email, they're going to work with someone else. You're potentially going to lose that work. Like when, for those of us who are, you know, woos or creatives or anything that's like outside of corporate America, it's a different skill set than admin, than, than running a business per se, but that is a part of it. And, you know, I really strive to respond to emails in a timely fashion. I really strive to like run, run that kind of administrative component to my work with consistency, because I do think that part of I guess for me, part of the container I like to hold for my clients or the people that I'm working with in publishing or whatever it is, is about communication before the work itself begins, right? And so it's about being accountable from the get. And whether it's about being kind or about being consistent or reliable, all of these things are about the relationships we build with others and the way we make them feel. And you know, sometimes you have a bad day and you, you like send off an email and you're like, ew, that was not nice of me. Or like that was irresponsible or you miss something. And none of that is, is defining what's defining is whether or not you defend it when you do something wrong. Right. And I think that's really been on my mind a lot lately because, you know, as we record this, we're in eclipse season and Mercury is retrograde and there's a lot of really volatile energy in the world and in my personal life. And also I'm seeing just for tons of people, um, in the world, it's, it's just, it's kicking up a lot of intense energy. And the more willing we are to be humble instead of guilty, and, you know, present instead of evading things or obsessing on things, either extreme, the kind of greater potential we have for actually healing whatever it is that's getting triggered when we're upset. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot this week because it's been an intense week. I don't know about for you. But. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And well, this is something, too, we live in call-out culture, and it makes me think, like, what do you do when you get called out? Do you defend yourself? Do you listen? Like, it's... Yes. And this is happening. This is not just happening to, like, big famous people we all know. It's just happening in the most micro way <laughs> yeah. to, to yeah. everyone. And I, whoo, I'm trying so hard to be on my best behavior to like check myself before I react to something. Can you, can we rewind a second and go back to what you were saying about the difference between being humble and guilty? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really deep part of kind of my belief system and what I try to, to work with. Um, And, you know, let's say, like talking about call-out culture, let's say uh, you call someone out and then you realize later that you were just kind of being a dick. Or let's say someone calls you out and you realize you were wrong about something. The first response that most of us have is defensiveness. And that defensiveness, depending on your personality or depending on the situation, will either make you self-hate and go into guilt or blame and deflect right? We tend to do one or the other, depending again on situation or nature. Mm -hmm. And my 
for, for the part where it's about guilt, the thing about guilt is it's an obsession on the self that ultimately self-harms, A, and B, deflects responsibility and accountability. Whereas humility is about being able to be mentally and emotionally present with where you misstepped, where you were wrong, and to hold it, to hold it with intention and be like, I am not giving myself a pass, but I'm also going to learn from this and not let this define me. And it's true humility is power. And it's power because it gives us the flexibility to grow and to change. And it gives us the kind of, it reflects the willingness to be wrong. And if we are able and willing to be wrong, that means we will grow towards something that is less wrong or dare I say right. Um, And I think that the key really is unpacking what that guilt is about and recognizing that guilt is too much obsession on the self. When you feel guilty, you're not actually healing and you're not thinking about how you may have harmed someone else. You're not, you're just thinking about how shitty you feel or how shitty you were. Right. Mm -hmm. And we all do it. I mean, every single person does it. And it's something that I'm consistently working with people on working on with myself. And it's, it's complicated, you know, and it's also simple. It's both. I think deflecting it or stewing in it is like the difference between being like, I fucked up and I am a fuck up. Like when you're trying to like deflect, 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 or you're just like, oh, stewing in the shame of it. You're just holding on to something that was meant to be a moment and you're like taking it on as an identity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's something that, you know, I will say it's like one of the it's a deep part of my work on myself and my work with people and I'm obsessed with boundaries, you know, and that's also something I'm constantly working on. And in this particular week, this past, you know, seven days, I've really been confronted with these themes in my own personal life. And what it's reminded me of, not for the first or the fifth time, is that no matter how hard you work on yourself, you get to a point, you get to a plateau and you get to a place and then you get comfortable. And then the universe is like, cool, go deeper now. And it challenges you again. And then you either have to go back to basics or you have to like up your game. And that's not a sign of like, when will the work end or, you know, you having fucked up. It's a sign of just being a person and having this truly this gift of really growing over the course of time and expanding beyond where you've been and where the people around you've been. Like you, you get to keep on growing and expanding and growing and expanding. And I just think that that's, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of exciting to me when I'm not in the, the muck of it. <laughs> it's really exciting to me. And then when we get to the muck, all you see is muck. But I think that the key again is to be willing to not let that moment that you're in define you. Yeah. It's your response to the moment that defines you. Mm-hmm. I, boundaries are interesting to me. You must be an expert at boundaries at this point and still mm-hmm. challenged by them because, which is what makes you an expert because you're <laughs> all up in each other's business, you and the clients. And then I imagine people like, Hey, you want to sing for your supper? You think you're just hanging yeah. out and people are like, can you please <laughs> tell me my future, you know, for free right now yes. over yes. this bottle of wine. Yes, that, that is true. I really like calling it sing for your supper. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> All of those things are, are, are true. And it's also, I find boundaries to be very difficult 
because it's not a one size fits all. It's not like I bought a pair of shoes. I wear my shoes. Now they're on my feet. So they're on boundaries. You can set your boundaries and then the smallest thing can kind of dissolve them. Or you can find that you have energy boundaries and you know, they, they're really solid everywhere except for over your third eye or whatever. And then you get slammed. And then when you get slammed, you get more permeable. It's just like with your autoimmune system, you know, if you start to get a cold, then all the other things that you're more susceptible to kind of can get worse quicker. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the same thing. I, yeah. Boundaries are a huge part of my work. Yeah. So how, how has that progressed for you? Like from when you were very first, when you were a baby psychic and well, you're, (laughs) let's say for everybody listening, you are an astrologer, a psychic medium and you read tarot cards, and something we definitely will have to talk about after this is animal communication, <laughs> which I'm completely fascinated about. But so, when you were like the baby psychic, what, like what has been the progression to who you are now in terms of boundaries specifically? Well, when I first, well, I, even before I knew I was psychic, so let's start with that. Before I knew I was psychic, I was physically ill all the time. Like every single day of my childhood, I was physically ill. And now I know that that was because I am an empath, which is to say that I feel people's issues through my physical body. So I was in constant chronic pain as a child and as a person, you know, when I was in my late teens and early 20s, just constant chronic pain. And it wasn't until my late twenties or around 30 that I started to realize, Oh wait, maybe I, I, you know, this is actually psychic content. I really didn't believe in psychic content before. So as I started to recognize that I started to be able to see, Oh, I am in pain. Maybe this pain isn't mine. And because I was already a consulting astrologer, I had the ability to do something that most people don't do, which is I could say to a client, Hey, are you having the stomach ache? Or, Hey, do you have a headache? Or, Hey, are you feeling anxious in your throat? And when they would confirm the feeling would go away. And so, yeah, it was like my, my guidance was like, you need to name it and help people heal it. And I didn't know that. And so when I first started to, to do this work intentionally, like when I started to realize I was doing the work and actually start doing it, I got healthier, physically healthier. And that was, I can't even tell you what a joy that was because I, you know, I'm now in my mid forties, but when I was in my teens and twenties, I was really unhealthy. Like I felt bad a lot. So I am healthier now than I've ever been because of my energy boundaries. And so I, I mean, I wish I could tell you that it was like this graceful stepping into boundaries, but no, uh, it was a lot of, uh, physical illness associated with it for me because when my boundaries get weak, I tend to get physically, like I feel it really physically. Um, there's a lot of trial and error. I've worked with different, um, women who have taught me so much, some of whom have taught me by by mentoring me and modeling healthy boundaries for me. And some have taught me by trampling and destroying my boundaries and taking advantage, but both are teachers, you know, one, and I would recommend more than the other, of course, but both are teachers. And it's really just been a lot of trial and error. And some of it on a behavioral level is really recognizing that as much as I want to focus on what someone else is saying or doing, it's what I choose to participate in. It's what I choose to consent to engaging with. It's what I believe my rights 
and responsibilities are, those are my things to manage. Those are my things to steward. And the focus most of us make is we, we were like, well, so-and-so is doing X and she's doing Y and he's pushing me there and whatever it is, instead of I'm staying in the situation because I'm getting something out of it, even though this is a bad part of the situation, or I am staying in the situation, even though I know I don't want to, and that's on me. Right. And again, this is about being able to hold responsibility with humility about the messiness of our intentions and our choices. Mm -hmm. And the more I am able to do that, life is easier and better. And that said, you know, I'm, I'm constantly, constantly dealing with boundary issues. And that's just because, you know, because I'm a person in the world and I have relationships. Um, and then also, you know, let's talk about, you know, having a wide audience, whether it's through social media or through having a podcast, we're holding energy and we're engaging with people. And that engagement, the more empathetic you are, the more, and I don't mean empathetic, like on an emotional and psychological level. I mean, like more, the more one is energetically permeable, um, the more you're going to feel it. And, you know, that requires a whole different set of boundaries that I'm still kind of working out the details of, because how do you, you know, for me, my experiences on social media, for instance, like on Instagram or Twitter, the way that I get hit energetically by people's feelings or whatever it is about me, it has almost like a tinny quality to it. But that's not at all how I experience people energetically when I have one-on-one in-person contact with them. Right. So it's just like, it's fascinating. Who would have, I wouldn't have guessed that there would be a different quality, but, but there is. So on the energetic level, I'm constantly, uh, learning and making mistakes and, uh, you know, oh, exploring. Yeah. I mean, it's just how it goes. Right. And not only is life constantly changing, you know, you were saying like your boundaries aren't like putting on a pair of shoes and then it, that's it. It's like right. your, your foot is shrinking and growing and Oh my God, there's six, new toes like when you add the internet onto just the natural progression of life now all of a sudden we're on high speed and yes. you you said a key word right now in just you know the everyday conversation we're all having culturally and that is consent and the way that you're talking about consent is like bringing a different level of awareness to it because we often consent to things that we're not even deliberately We're not like giving deliberate consent because we don't even know (laughs) what's going on. And I love that people like you do the kind of work that help people dip below their awareness and see what's really going on. Thank you. And yes. And, you know, and part of that is like, if you think about your ex and you're obsessing on your ex and you're, you know, you're broken up, but you're like, what are they thinking? What are they doing? How do they feel about me? What are they saying? What you're doing is you are actively consenting to investing in the pain that your ex caused you, but making it present tense instead of past. Mm. Instead of, wow, my mind keeps on returning to my ex. I know that brings me pain. I know that I've chosen to not be with this person. I need to look at why my mind keeps on returning to a point of pain. That's, you know, it's taking more responsibility for what you're consenting to engage with, right? And it's, it happens on so many levels. And this is why people have a really hard time with boundary work is because it takes slowing it down and really taking responsibility. And often the thing about, you know, obsessing on other people or blaming other people or calling out other people is it's very convenient because then you don't have to take responsibility for your own conduct. Right. Yeah. And when you're suffering or you feel victimized, that's nice to feel like, well, I'm not responsible for anything. 
because that person was a jerk. Yeah. So you're hammering in on one of my favorite words. And the first time you said it, I registered, we will talk about this. And now you've said it like 42 more times. And that is, <laughs> that is responsibility. Respo- yep. And actually, that's why I love magic. For me, magic is about taking responsibility for my own life, my own awareness, my own ability to consent and even recognize what I am consenting to. <laughs> yes. But I'm curious about how responsibility How do you bring that into the conversation when you're working with a client who is trying to hand the responsibility off on you? Like, tell me what to do. What is my future? You know, like fortune, fortune telling people who come looking for that kind of thing. I say straight away that it's not what I do. And then I, if it, if they ask me for that in the very beginning of a session, I will definitely say, did you do any research about my work? That is not what I do. And if they're a return client, which I do have return clients who still ask me to do that. And I always remind them that is not how I work. And that is not what I do. And I'll often explain to them why, because you know, like the the classic question of like, will my ex come back to me? That is the wrong question. Almost always. It is the wrong question. The right question is I want my ex to come back to me. Is that a healthy drive? If my ex comes back to me, will we be happier and more successful the second time around or the 20th time around or whatever it is? You know, it's about really a big part of my work, in my view, is helping people identify the correct question to ask. Because we are often asking the wrong question, which means even if we get the answer, it doesn't satiate us. And when you get fortune telling, which, hey, you know, everybody wants a little fortune telling now and again. But when we get fortune telling, we feel better for 15 minutes. And then we feel just as bad again. We need more and we need more because it doesn't answer the real question, which is, will I be okay? Will I be safe? Will this feeling go away? And those are the questions we really want answered. And those questions beg other questions that, you know, we must kind of like dig and dig and dig until we get to the the true question. Because when you answer the true question, it has this kind of proxy uh, impact of, of kind of like directing your focus of how to answer the other questions. Does that make sense the way I'm saying it? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking how does being psychic facilitate that? Are you Mm. seeing things in people that they can't see in themselves and then you're like kind of gently guiding them to that realization? Okay, so there's there's two parts. One is I am not the most gentle of all the giants. No, I, I recognized your sass when I asked yeah. the responsibility <laughs> question. <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah, so so the way that the psychicness works with that um, is is on a many levels, and it depends on who I'm talking to and what's coming up. But often, what will happen is I'm talking to a person, and they're telling me a story. You know, they're, they're explaining a situation and then leading up to their question. And I am listening to their words, but I'm also watching them energetically. And so when a person is asking a question out of anxiety, then I can see their energy body functioning from a state of anxiety. And I know that they're not asking the real question because anxiety doesn't produce presence with the truth. That's not what anxiety is. And so If, let's say, somebody is describing something and I see them popping in and out of their bodies or moving from a place of self-destructive egoism to a place of anxiety to a place of, like, please fix me, energetically it looks different at every stage. And so the way I see it is sometimes it's visual. It's generally very visceral 
the way I experience it. And so when somebody starts to completely like check out or freak out, I will often pause the conversation and I'll say, okay, let's just touch in with what you're feeling. This is what I can, what I'm perceiving that you're feeling. Is that correct? And if they say no, then we move on, but usually they say yes. And then we can kind of unpack that feeling to get at a greater truth and then return to the topic they want addressed from a more nuanced place. And that is really valuable because listen, I can tell you what the end of the movie is, but that doesn't actually help you get through the movie, right? Like I can, I can answer for somebody like, oh yeah, you should leave him. But how does that serve you? You're going to leave your partner because some astrologer or some psychic told you to? I hope not. If you're going to leave someone, you should leave them because you believe that your life would be better if you moved on. And so what I'm interested in is facilitating awareness of the truth, because our truth is true, whether or not we want to accept it, whether or not we're willing to look at it. And so I'm, that's what I'm really motivated by. And so whether I'm accessing it through astrology or through tarot or through my psychic ability, sometimes it's by talking to a person's animal friends. Sometimes it's by talking to a person's lost loved ones that I'll get data. But so I'm not monogamous to how the data comes through. I'm simply interested in finding the truth and um, empowering people as much as possible to access their truth in a way that they can sustain. And, you know, I, I should just kind of add to that, that sometimes the best we can do is pretty terrible and that's okay. <laughs> you know, we want to, we want to have hold space for not every time is productive time. Not every time is, is like our healthiest, best time. And again, not, not punish ourselves when we keep on making the same mistake, but instead be kind enough to ourselves to be interested in what we're getting out of that mistake. Yes. And we all do it. We all do it. So to think that you're the worst, which I'll say since having this podcast that I have, I have really, it's been hammered home for me how many of the questions that I have, people saying, my life is harder than other people's lives. I, I can't count how many times people have said that in you know some version or another. My love life is worse than other people's love life. My, my past is worse than other people's past. We tend to be really alienated where we have pain. And that isolation and alienation inclines us to punishing ourselves. And that, that kind of self hate or lack of self-acceptance further inclines us to make mistakes because we're too busy beating ourselves up to nurture ourselves to come to a place of neutrality and then hopefully a place of abundance and prosperity and growth, right? Yeah. Well, that's what we all hire you for. (laughs) Can you make me rich and find love and be perfectly healthy forevermore and never die? Thank you very much. How how much will that be? (laughs) I'll do that in 10 minutes and it'll be $50. Fabulous. Uh, Fabulous. Please direct me to the correct crystal. Yes, exactly. That's exactly. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly. So let's tell people about your podcast. What is the name of it? And is it all Q&A style? Okay. So my podcast is called Ghost of a Podcast and it is not all Q&A. I do a Q&A at the in the first half of the show. So basically people can write me questions because I am booked up for a year in advance. So I'm not I'm like impossible to get a reading with right now. And so this is like my way of kind of giving back to the community. And so people can write me in a question and I will give them a reading. Sometimes I'll hop on the phone with people, but usually I'll just do the reading. Um 
in the show. And then the second half of the show, I talk about the astrology of the week. So it's kind of like a horoscope. It's not a horoscope through the signs. It's talking about the astrological themes of, you know, the, the upcoming seven days. And I will often incorporate current events and the issues that are going on in the world around us, which, I mean, we are in a really intense and scary time in my view. And so I'll often talk about that and talk about it in the context of astrology, which I think is really, I think is valuable, but of course I do. <laughs> anyway, so, so yeah, so, so I'll, I'll do all of that. And, um, yeah. And I try to keep my episodes a little on the shorter side. They tend to be about like 30, 40 minutes, 20 to 40 minutes, somewhere in there. Ghost of a podcast. I will definitely link to that. How, well, I, I see you use words like tyranny yes. and patriotism and resistance and dissent. And obviously just, let's just say in the United States right now, specifically, we are extremely divided about what that means. So yeah. I take it you're not a person who minds being polarized. That's a really great question uh, and was actually very much on my mind this morning before we hopped on our call. I wouldn't say that I don't mind. I want everyone to care about the things I care about. <laughs> so I don't think of, um, I don't think calling the current Trump administration fascist is polar, should be polarizing um, because because of what they're doing, because of the concentration camps, um, because of because of the ice raids that they're promising. I mean, I to me this doesn't seem radical. I understand, technically speaking, that it probably is, but but it's like not my thought process when I talk about those things. To me, it's just about naming what's happening. That said, <laughs> I am uh, this week in particular really getting feedback from some people that it is more radical or polarizing than I think it is. Well, I think living in San Francisco, you have a certain perspective. Like I live yeah. in Los Angeles and when I go home to Bakersfield, which I do once a month or so, it's conservative, Republican, Christian, yeah. my circle right. there. And then when I'm in Los Angeles, everybody's a liberal. <laughs> right, right, right. And I'm and, in the Bay Area. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So it's very like, what? What do you mean? Like you think you're just saying the sky is blue. Mm -hmm. And then you go over here and someone's like, no, it's red. How can you not see that? Yeah. 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 That was a perfect color metaphor. I, I don't know if it was intentional, but yes, completely. Yes. Um, and you know, I, in fact, I started my podcast because of my concern about the, what the astrology of 2019, 20, 21, what it indicates. It's what motivated me to do this because as a spiritual person, I, I'm really concerned about all of us and I'm concerned about each individual's soul and I want to participate as much as possible in helping people see the connection between politics or social issues related to social justice and our individual soul, our individual birth chart, our individual wellness. And in my one-on-one -on -one consultations in my private practice, that's not appropriate because I'm counseling people. So if I'm counseling somebody who's a Republican, I'm not trying to turn them into a Democrat or a progressive. You know, that's not appropriate. That's, that's not at all what I do. But when I'm talking on my podcast or I'm writing, you know, horoscopes for my website, I absolutely can and do talk about um, issues from my perspective. 
Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And speaking of your perspective, I am going to link to one of my favorite things that I found is Jessica. It's, it's, how do I say your last name? I'm not particular about people saying my name, right? I, I know a lot of people really are just like learn to say my name. I personally don't mind when people mispronounce my name. However, if you're going to butcher my name, think about rhyming it with Xanadu. That's not how you say my name, but I think it's cute because I love the movie Xanadu. Uh, <laughs> So it's fine with me. My name is Lenyado. Lenyado. Yeah, okay. Lenyato. Yeah, it's nobody can pronounce it. It's not frenetic. It's not English. It's fine with me. But if you're going to butcher it, think of Xanadu. Think of Olivia Newton-John on roller skates, Gene <laughs> Kelly, and, and I'm totally cool about it. Exactly. So <laughs> Jessica Lenyado, Jewish astrologer, I will be linking yes. to this video because... First of all, I'm always fascinated, particularly by people in the New Age community, I'll just use that umbrella, who come from, you know, I don't think that you are, would call yourself Jewish in terms of religion, but you come from that culture and that really interests me, like how does being a psychic medium land in the Jewish culture? So I'll link to it for that. Not that you explain that. I hope you will hear, but mainly I want to link to it so people can see what you look like and how rad your style is. And then we get to snoop around your home a little bit, which I really (laughs) appreciate. Thank you. I don't live there anymore. It's it's like a couple apartments ago sort of thing, but Uh, we'll still get a sense of your style. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I like it. I like it. So how does being a psychic medium land in the Jewish community or how, how do those two things interact in your own experience? Well, that's a, that's a good question. And it, I usually only get asked it by Jewish publications, which is that video was made by a Jewish publication. I guess there's like a couple levels of the answer. The first is I personally don't go to synagogue. I'm not religious. I'm very, very Jewish identified because it is my, my ethnic and cultural identity. And I am from survive, you know, refugees on both sides. My grandparents who are still alive, who I grew up with and was very much, you know, raised by alongside my mother, um, they're Holocaust survivors. And, uh, my father is from Iraq. And, uh, after Israel was established, Iraq expelled their Jewish population. And to say expelled is not to say invited gently to leave. Um, It was expelled. And, you know, this deeply sensitizes me to the current concentration camps. It deeply sensitizes me to cultural issues that immigrants face and refugees face and to racism and to xenophobia and essentially to injustice. And so I really do know that a lot of that comes from, you know, my conscience and my personality and my willingness to look at the world, but also it comes from being Jewish and from my personal Jewish experience. You know, when I was growing up, there was, I was raised in a very secular world, but it was very Jewish and everyone was related to refugees, you know, to Holocaust survivors. And so that deeply informs every part of who I am. And that's really different than the religious component. As far as my kind of thoughts or sense of what religious Jews think about the fact that I'm an astrologer or a psychic or a medium, I wouldn't know. Um, I imagine that, you know, some people would hate it. Some people would be indifferent to it. Some people would love it. But I don't know. And it's not super concerning for me because I'm really, I have a lot of latitude for difference. And so whether somebody is religious 
Jewish or Christian or anything or is agnostic, it, that's not about me. That's their personal choice. That's their relationship to the universe, to the divine, to their psychology. And it's not really a reflection on me. It's a reflection on them. And I want people to be able to respect that I choose to live the way I live and that I see the world the way I do. And I like to return that with, you know, that same respect and kind. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that was not a family bone of contention. Everybody was just like, oh, cool. She's a psychic. I mean, oh, cool. She's a psychic. No, but part of that is because I, I wasn't, I didn't like become a psychic. I became an astrologer. And then after the whole, she became an astrologer thing. It was kind of like, well, what are you going to do? 10 years later, you're going to get upset that she says she's a psychic. Like they, my grandmother, uh, who is also still alive. She's often like, oh no, when I die, I'm dead. You're not going to talk to me when I'm dead. No, no. <laughs> She's just like, that's not happening, nutty. And she, she refers to, to my clients as the, the crazies. But, you know, none of it's cruel or, or mean or anything like that. They just, they don't believe it. They don't like it. And it's not for them. But I am not somebody who's really especially looking for their approval on, on my career choice. So, And there was never any kind of pressure in my family to to go to university or anything like that. Like I know there's a stereotype of American Jews of, you know, every, all American Jews come from money. All American Jews are, you know, value education. Neither of those things are my experience. So there was never any kind of conversation about me going to university. So when I didn't go to university, there was no like, what are you doing with your life conversation Mm -hmm. at all? It was just me doing me and everyone, they, they were just like, you go do you. In fact, I've patterned my business a lot after my grandfather who worked in sweatshops after he came, you know, he was in Auschwitz and then he went to Canada and he worked in sweatshops, bringing his family over. And then he built a business slowly over time. And kind of like the, the model that he had expressed to me of how he built his business is how I built mine. It's the same model, which is just serve your community, do a good job and keep on going. It's a pretty simple model. Seems, <laughs> but, seems yeah. to be working. Seems to be working yeah. here. Yeah. We're like coming that. up on an hour. I have to ask you about animals, but now you're talking about your grandma being dead when she's dead and you better not talk to her. <laughs> so <laughs> I, awesome. I like, my mind is going like, wait a minute, we need five more hours. I want to, <laughs> can you please explain the difference between a psychic and a medium? You call yourself a psychic Absolutely. medium, but those yes. are two different things that I imagine work very well together. Yes, but not all mediums are psychic and not all psychics are mediums, especially not all psychics are mediums. So psychic, the way I describe it is it's like I have a really great fiber internet connection. It's not dial up. I've got this great internet connection and I can, I have access to this worldwide web of information. (laughs) And that doesn't mean I can see all the websites at once. It doesn't mean that I can see all the data on a website. It means that if I want to look at something, I can access it quite easily. So so in, in my little metaphor, this internet is just the information that's out there. It's it's our our stuff, you know. Um, it's past future, it's all the things. Now, medium means you are in be, able to communicate in between, in the middle of the living and the dead. So different planes. So being psychic doesn't mean being able to talk to animals and it doesn't mean being able to talk to dead people. Being a medium allows me to communicate with people who are in spirit, who are no longer in their bodies. 
And that is, you know, pretty straightforward, I think, what that is. Yes. And, and then animal communication is as simple as that sounds as well. As I am able to communicate with animals who are willing to communicate with me, which is not all animals. But I am able to communicate with animals as well, living and dead. And on my first date with my now partner, he asked me, does that mean you can talk to your food? And I was horrified. So I will say... <laughs> For everyone listening, the answer is no. And also, I would never try. And also, I don't, I, you know, that sounds, <laughs> but he did ask me that. No, uh, but I am now vegan from now on. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so how typically would an animal communicate with you? Is it a feeling? Are you getting like full thoughts and sentences or pictures? It depends. Um, you know, I... I, I won't tell you that a cockroach and a cat communicate in the same way because they don't. And different cats, like I, I live with two cats who I love very much, and one of them gives zero fucks about communicating with me. She gives zero fucks. Every once in a while, she'll engage with me, but she's really she doesn't care that I can communicate with her, and she definitely doesn't really feel interested in talking to me. My other cat, he is the most communicative cat I've ever met. Like he's like top three, top three. He's just very communicative. And he also sometimes doesn't want to talk to me. So it's like, you know, cats are people, animals are people. We're all, we all have our own personhood. And so different people communicate in different ways. When I'm communicating with animals for my clients, sometimes they're like, yes, very specific about language and very specific about messaging. And then sometimes they're just like, can we talk about my food? I just want to show you my food. I love my food. <laughs> I will never forget. I once went to a friend's like was having like a movie night at his house and I showed up at his house and there was this dog, this big fluffy white dog that was sitting there. And just as soon as I walked in the room, that the dog, I don't know what their gender was, was just like, I have this bed at home. This is amazing bed. And I was like, okay, weirdo. You got a bed at home. Cool. It was a very simple form of communication. And then other times it's it's incredibly deep and incredibly nuanced. And so so it really it really depends. I was once staying in the desert with my ex and uh, when we were still together. And we had rented this house and we were in this pool and it was amazing, but there was like bats dive bombing the pool. In the like when it was still light out, which is kind of terrifying. It's not they're not supposed to be out during the day, and they were like trying to drink water. Um, and it was so scary, and it was happening for two days. And then I was like, "Come on, Jessica, you're an animal communicator. Just communicate with the bats." So I just told them it was dangerous to not come by, and they just stopped. And I was like, "Damn it, I forgot that I could do that." And then, well, and and the story could go on, but the point is, is that sometimes animals are really responsive, and sometimes they're really not. You know, so it, that's just it's people like being people. people. It's like people. You got everything from like Dr. Doolittle to that old commercial where it's like the thoughts of a dog. And then it takes you inside the mind of a dog. And it's like, chase the tail, chase the tail, chase the tail, <laughs> dig the hole, dig the hole, dig the hole. I never saw that ad, but for sure some dogs are like that. A lot of them aren't. A lot of them are just really like, the thing about it, dogs from my experience, and I'm not a person who has dogs, but I've talked to many dogs on the behalf of my, my human clients. And the thing about dogs is they're pack animals. And when you become part of a dog's pack, then they are deeply invested in your welfare and your safety. That's their job. And if you're in a small pack, that's going to be more so, right? Because the small pack, if it's just you and your dog or you, your dog and one other human, they're going to be deeply invested in you. And they're going to think about you. And they're going to be concerned about you from their own perspective. And that's really tender as far as I'm concerned. It's oh, yes. really tender. And, you know, I, 
I, I just, I feel like, I feel like the thing about animals is they have personhood and that's even when we love animals or we're deeply concerned with their welfare. There's a part of us as humans with so much hubris where we're like, because I don't understand them, because I can't tell objectively that they understand me, then I'm ambiguous about whether or not they can communicate. Of course they can fucking communicate. Of course animals can communicate. What, what do we think? We're the only ones with sentience? That's nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it just doesn't make any sense at all. And I don't, I think it's like this thing of like, you know, humans, we want proof. We want objective proof. And that's going to be a tricky thing for a lot of people to get unless you know, you're like me and you're an animal communicator and and you can get kind of, um, you can get verification on things, which I have been able to do many times. It's, it's a true joy for me getting to do animal communication. Yeah. It was fun getting to ask you about that. So for sure now everybody's going, okay, how do I get Jessica to talk to my animal? Yeah. Yeah. Every time I publish an episode on my podcast of animal communication, which has only been twice, but I then am flooded by a million questions from people being like, tell me about my cat or like, I, I don't know what to do with my dog or whatever. So yes, that, that for sure happens. And I'm not the only animal communicator out there. I'm not the only psychic out there or the only medium. There's tons of us out there and not everybody has, you know, like a media presence. So they're harder to find, but you know, spend some time doing research because, because there's a lot of really talented, caring wonderful people out there who have skills, you know, and, and a lot of times I think psychics and really energetically sensitive people have a hard time putting themselves out there in in like social media or on the internet or whatever, because you're opening yourself up to so much more energy, which is a personal liability if you're a sensitive person. So yeah, sometimes you have to do a little extra digging for, for energy workers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how, where should people go right, right away? If they're like, I need to know more about you. Okay. If you need to know more about me, go to my website. It's lovelenyato.com. And of course, nobody can spell lenyato. No, of course not. How could you spell lenyato? Because it's such a hard word to spell. Uh, it doesn't even spell like Xanadu. So my metaphor is terrible and it doesn't work, but it's, uh, it'll be in your show notes, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. And so you can, you can go to my website where you can watch that video with Macklemore and I did a BuzzFeed video. Also, I did a TLC show where I gave readings uh, to a bunch of people. Uh, it only did one season, but it's called Stargazing. And so you can check that out. You can listen to a podcast. You can follow me on social media where I post, you know, I think high value spiritual content associated with memes because I like to laugh as much as the next Capricorn. And what else can you do? You can just read a lot of articles I've written. There's just tons of stuff on my website. I have free tools. I have a free app for iOS that you can download. It's like a millennial magic eight ball. And yeah, I'm all over the damn place. Yeah. Your value that you stated at the beginning of wanting to be helpful, of wanting to be of service really comes through when people just go to your website or hang out with you on Twitter or Instagram. You really give so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's my, it's my goal. Yeah. So nobody pout that you can't hire her to read you personally (laughs) because she's showing up constantly with awesome information. Thank you. And you know, now that you say that, I actually realize I'm going to figure out probably after this Mercury retrograde, AKA probably after July 31st, how to upload. I have a couple uh, webinars that I'm, that I have done and then I'm going to allow people to buy on my website so that they can get, so they can learn with me if they're interested in learning astrology. So yeah, there's more to come, more to come. Okay. Well, I always end 
with the same question, and, and I can't wait to find out what your answer is. It's just whatever comes top of mind. It doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all, but what is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Hmm. I mean, it's like I have like 20 dueling opinions. Comparison is the thief of joy. I didn't make that up. It's a quote. Who am I quoting? I don't remember. I I think it's some old school dude. But comparison is the thief of joy. Don't compare yourself to where you want to be, where you once were, or to anyone else. Mm. Find a way to be present and to build from there, whether it's building internally or it's building outside of yourself. Because I think any successful career path or life path has strong internal uh, mechanisms, which means there, there are inevitably going to be times where you have to really build your insights. So that's don't always look for external proof or external progress, because if it's always external, then there's no substance to it, you know? So that, that was kind of a long answer. That wasn't a quick, that easy was a good answer. I love the first distinction you made was so awesome because when I think of comparison, I think of comparing yourself to other people, but you came like right out of the gate with comparing <laughs> yourself to like your future, where you want to yes. be. And that's yes. something that I do a lot. I'm not really concerned about how I measure up to other people, but I'm constantly looking at how, how do I measure up to the vision that I have yes. for myself? Yep. That's the one. Can I say one more thing? I know we kind of got to go, but let me, can I add to that? Sure. Okay. This is the way I, I place it to people often is like, think about this. Let's say you're in LA and you're like, I want to go to Australia. And you're like, okay, cool. What am I going to do? I'm going to go on the internet. I'm going to buy a ticket. So you buy your ticket to, to, to Australia. Right. And then the day comes and then you've packed your bags. Then you have to get in the car and take the car to the airport. You're at LAX. Then you have to go through all the customs, all that crap. You check your bag. Then you wait. And then you get on the plane and then you get on the plane. You probably have to change planes in Hawaii. Right. So then you have to change planes in Hawaii. And then you're on the plane for a million hours. So you get off the plane. I swear I'm going somewhere with this. You get off the plane and then you're in the airport. You have to figure out how to get to your first hotel. At every step of that journey, from finding the ticket to getting to the airport to switching planes, you never see those steps as evidence that you're not in Australia. You just see those steps as evidence that you're on your way, that you have the intention, that you're following through. And you know that your flight might get delayed and that someone might lose your baggage or, you know, you might have to stay overnight in Hawaii because there was a yada yada, right? All these things could happen, but they're not evidence that you're not getting to Australia. They're only evidence that sometimes the journey is not what you plan on it. And the reason why we can see that so objectively when we're traveling is because we believe in the outcome. And when we're in our own lives and we're comparing ourselves to the future, to where we think we should be, it's because we don't believe that the journey will bring us to the destination. And that's a faith issue. It's not like a truth or not truth issue. And so when we compare ourselves to the future, we're not in the present. And that means we're not tending to the stage of development we're at, which robs us of our own substance and our own value. So that's, that's the way I like to put it. I hope that wasn't too far of an aside, but there it is. I did it. Jessica Lignato, I officially love you. Oh my God. I love you. Oh, this was <laughs> just so perfect. Oh, thank yes. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I've had such a great time. I really, really appreciate it. And thanks for your amazing questions. How good was her answer to my question that I always ask? Your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. 
I was so excited when she gave her answer to that. that I've been thinking about it non-stop. It makes so much sense. I love when someone says something that I've never thought about before. And comparing your current self to your future self is so rude. It's so rude. And I love the example that she gave of traveling. Traveling. You know, you're not beating up on yourself when you're in the airport on your way to go somewhere because you know you're on your way there. You might be grumpy because TSA or you might lose your luggage, but you know for sure you're on your way there and it's all just another step along the way. Truly, like that created an awesome paradigm shift for me and plus I just had a really good time speaking with her. And so again, let me remind you if you want to join us next Wednesday, that is July 24th, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you're a woman who wants to talk all things queen, be sure you follow the link around here to get that free three-day video series going, and then you'll just be on the list already, and you'll get the link to that, and then we can chat, and I'm really looking forward to doing that. And then because it is the Summer of Magic and Spirit House Records is our musical sponsor for the Summer of Magic, thanks to Johanna Warren, I thought I would play a Johanna Warren song for you here today. And she is on the show. She's going to be on the show here in a few, probably less than a week, maybe maybe a week. I think I said that last episode, but soon, soon. I'm going to have Matt Warren on first, and then we will do Johanna Warren. And until then, I thought I could give you a little taste of what she is doing as a musician with her song Hungry Ghost from the album Gemini I. Gemini 1, excuse me. There's a Gemini 1 and a Gemini 2. And this is from Gemini 1. And what really gets me is a lyric that's right up front in this song that says, don't try to describe me to me. And I really like the raw guitar sound and the drums. And she has this very pretty feminine voice that is expressing real regret and anger and disappointment. And I like that. I like that. And I like this song. So here she is, Johanna Warren with hungry ghost oh and until we meet again much love to you peace go back inside there's nothing here to see don't try to describe me to me cause if you Chica